we are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning. If you'd like to just take your seats again. Good morning. So, um... My name is Barney. I'm uh, one of the uh, trustees here. One of, I also head up the setup and sound teams. So uh, if you're at a loose end on a Sunday morning, do come and chat to me afterwards. But um, uh, it's my privilege to carry on our series, as Nicola said, going uh, called Inspired. And um, this is where we're basically we've been asked to um, identify a person uh, or some people who who inspire us to talk about. So obviously, whilst thinking about this, I um, uh, thought uh, maybe I could talk about the uh, England cricket team. Um, and Matt, who's that in the middle there in the, in the yellow? Is, is that David Warner? Oh, yeah, so uh, England beat Australia this week. Uh, didn't they, Matt? It's good. But, you know, there's so many good people. I could have talked about Joe Root and uh, um, how he inspires me. And I don't know whether they've actually started on time, but um, England are playing in the World Cup final this morning. So, um, uh, you know, it's not that my mind is elsewhere at all, but look how sad he looks in the middle. It's just... It's just uh, <laughs> Um, any other Australians? I mean, I, I'm, I'm so pleased you're here this morning, Matt, anyway. Uh, but um, I was told that actually it had to be somebody from the Bible. Uh, so um, uh, given that Joe Root wasn't around in um, uh, biblical times, uh, I decided instead that I'd talk about Daniel this morning. Um, so, uh, but even that didn't feel like, I felt like I should give myself a bit of a challenge. So um, one of my favourite games uh, is Taboo. Uh, and in Taboo, you um, uh, have to speak about a subject without mentioning uh, a, a sort of set of buzzwords. So um, uh, I thought I would uh, set myself um, a few buzzwords that I'm not allowed to say this morning whilst talking about Daniel. Uh, and um, so, that's, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Daniel, but I'm not actually going to look at any of these things. So if you know about anything about Daniel, you've heard about these stories either uh, growing up or in school or uh, in church, um, you'll know that these are some of the stories we sort of associate with him. But I'm actually going to sort of look at the um, very early days of Daniel. But just because I like to play by the rules, I'm going to just add one saying Daniel is allowed. So um, uh, anything else, you can you know, get your metaphorical buzzers out and uh, beat me. But um, uh, um, if I say the name Daniel a bit, you'll forgive me. So uh, if um, you uh, want to follow what we're doing today, we have uh, got some Bibles. If you don't have one with you, uh, and um, uh, helpers at the back will bring them out now. So just stick up your hand. You can grab a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, then you can take this one for um, uh, home with you and have it for free, no cost, because um, we just think this book is great. We'd love everybody to have one, and um, they're just a brilliant resource. And then you can look at Daniel and other uh, fantastic stuff in there um, at home as well. So uh, if you do turn to Daniel, um, get that ready. We're going to be looking at Daniel 1 and 2 in the main today. Um, I'm just going to start off by giving a bit of context to the book of Daniel. Uh, and um, the book is set in Babylon, um, and, uh, which is in the Middle East. And it, it, at the time, it's a nation ruled by a tyrant 
named Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he had already conquered Assyria, which is sort of uh, right in the middle of modern-day Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Iran. So he'd already conquered there, and he wanted to defeat Egypt. But to do so, Judah, which is where Daniel's from, and Jerusalem, which is the city that Daniel's from, was in the way. And so Nebuchadnezzar uh, besieges um, Jerusalem, we read, right at the start of Daniel, uh, and takes it over. And to ensure that um, Jerusalem didn't rise up again to come back and sort of rebel, he uh, removed the top sort of section, the top tier, if you like, of, um, of royal officials and the court and royal society and uh, brought them into exile in Babylon. So, um, and Daniel uh, and his friends Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, four young guys were amongst those taken um, and a puppet king was left in Jerusalem, Jehoiakim, but we don't need to worry about him this morning. So we're going to look at these four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they would have been of Jewish nobility. They would have been, uh, they, it says in the Bible that they were handsome, intelligent, uh, and they um, were picked for that reason, that actually they were a threat if left to their own devices. So they were brought in, and because of their looks and their intelligence, they were chosen to be trained to serve the Babylonian king to serve Nebuchadnezzar. Um, so these four guys are exiles in a foreign land. Um, and they were stripped of everything. So they're obviously their home, but also their culture, even their names. They're, they're renamed by, um, in, in Babylon, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Uh, and all these names point to Babylonian gods. So having you know, a, a firm belief in the, the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Jerusalem. They're actually renamed after all these Babylonian gods. And so everything they've got is taken from them, effectively. Everything they've got. Uh, it reminds me of that song um, by Sting. I'm an alien. I'm a legal alien. I'm an Englishman in New York. Um, so, uh, and it's, it's like that. They've basically been taken out completely from their culture and placed in somewhere completely different. Englishmen in New York, if you like, um, or uh, uh, Jews in the middle of Babylon. And I think this book is, this book, this, th these guys are great to study, to look at, because as Christians, the Bible says, we too are exiles in a foreign land. And... If we're honest, I think we all feel this to a degree. We all feel that even though some of us may have lived in this country or even in this town for years and years and years, some of them only for a few months, but whatever, as Christians, actually we feel a little bit that we're not quite, it's not quite right, that it doesn't quite um, uh, fit well with sort of our spirit, our outlook, our views. We don't feel entirely comfortable always expressing them in our culture, and we feel a little bit judged because of that. And, and the um, uh, secular world looks at the church with suspicion uh, and distrust sometimes. Um, we're fish out of water. And the Bible actually says that. It says that effectively we're exiles, even in our hometowns. And so when we look at Daniel and his friends, we can actually look at a way of... of of being an exile, of, of how to honour God and how to serve God uh, when, when we're in a culture that is, feels a little bit alien, that feels a little bit different. Uh, and that's why it's just a great, a, great, um, a great person to study, a great guy to look at. And so we're going to do this by looking at two examples. 
And the first is in Daniel chapter 1, and, and we're going to look at how Daniel was faithful in the small things. And then we're going to look at how, in chapter 2, how that enabled Daniel to be faithful in the big things. So, um, Daniel chapter 1, I uh, hope you found it by now. They're effectively, just at the start of the chapter, they're brought to Babylon. And as part of their training, they're told that they must eat the king's food. So this is sort of part of establishing sort of his authority over them, but also um, to, get, but to bring them into the culture that they must eat the king's food. And so we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Considering all that has happened to them, uh, they've been taken from, the, they were besieged, defeated, taken to a foreign land, stripped of everything, renamed. I, my first reaction on reading this story is, is sort of, why was this the thing? Why was food the thing that you, you, you picked? And to be honest, I'm not going to be able to give you a great answer for that today. Um, I, I don't know why that was the one thing that Daniel decided to make a stand on, or maybe the one, it was the one thing that was recorded in the Bible. It could have been because some of the food they were being given would have been unclean by Judaic law, uh, but not all of it was. So, I mean, for example, they were able to drink wine. That was certainly uh, um, permitted, and they refused the wine as well. So it couldn't just have been because of wanting to sort of protect themselves from that. And, and I think my best sort of looking at it was actually it was more for their hearts so that they knew that their sustenance, what sustained them, came from God and God alone. That actually it wasn't the king of Babylon, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar who sustained them, it was God. And maybe that's why, maybe that's what it helped them to do. But for whatever reason, Daniel's conscience, and this is a guy who was, you know, really, it says later on in the book you could see the spirit of God resting on him Daniel's conscience dictated that actually he resolved that he resolved uh, not to take the king's food 
Now, I don't know about you, but my resolve is sometimes a little woolly, particularly in the small things. Um, for example, I resolve I'm going to go to bed on time at a sensible hour, but then I find myself still at midnight and beyond pottering around, mucking about. It's weak. My resolve is not very good. I resolve I'm not going to eat any more sweets out of the bag, and then the bag's empty. I, I don't know what you're for you, but my resolve is really not very good. And um, maybe, who knows, maybe Daniel's was the same, but actually, I think if you're supported by a group as Daniel was, he, was, he did this with his, his uh, three colleagues, actually that helps you to, be re to, to have resolve, to actually say, no, I'm not going to do something, and then to follow through on it. Because Daniel didn't just talk to the chief official. He then, after the chief official was like, well, if you do this, I might get killed. He then decided to go and approach the guard directly. So he's actually sort of tried one route and then tries another. Um, and effectively, he was like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to keep asking until uh, I get the chance. And so he resolves and his friends supporting him make this a lot easier. When I was growing up, I grew up in Dorset in a tiny little village in the middle of absolutely nowhere, but there are lots of woods around where I lived. And so because there was never really any, any, anybody in these woods, from a young age, my parents were quite happy for me to go off and explore the woods on my own. But, and occasionally I'd do it with a friend from the village. And I always know when I was with my friend, I'd always be a lot more courageous, I'd be a lot braver, I'd get further, I'd go and explore the areas we hadn't been to, I'd climb the bigger trees, I'd go down the bigger holes, whatever, we'd get into more trouble usually. But because I was with my friend, it gave me that courage and that, um, uh, you know, sort of appetite, that desire, and that we sort of egged each other on. And in a way, actually, when you're, when you're wanting to stand up for something, when you're wanting to challenge something, when you're wanting to take a stance, to be faithful in the small things, it's so helpful to have someone alongside you who can sort of egg you on to say, yeah, no, this is great. We'll be with you. We'll be there. We'll support you. We'll do it. Um, and this can, you can see this in sort of things like uh, praying together or reading the Bible, it, actually, if you have a sort of support group around you, it can really help uh, and give you that resolve that you need to sort of keep going, to, to be faithful in those small things, to, uh, to, to really clamp down on the, the things that you, your daily routine, the stuff that you think is, um, you know, it's not the major headline stuff, but actually just establishing good routine about eating right, about sleeping right, about uh, being nice to people, about the words you use. Stuff like just having a couple of people around you who are going to support that and help you in your resolve is really helpful. And I think that, you know, one thing, I always, the book is called Daniel, and it says this is what Daniel did, or Daniel did, but his three colleagues were with him all the way. And I think it's easy to forget that. And as we look at the result of this, and we look at the result, we see that actually God grants them favour. And immediately God is with them. Straight away, 10 days into this, uh, if you like, experiment, this trial period, they are seen to be doing better, to looking stronger, looking healthier. In, in fact, and it's, it's easy to overlook this. I think that they were eating effectively vegetables and water, it says. That was their diet. And we can apply a sort of 2019 lens to that and go, well, of course, that's a healthy diet. It's a you know, well-rounded, you know, vegetarian diet. They'll be really healthy and, and lean and mean and uh, strong. But actually, uh, when it says they were better nourished, I think the NIV says, and what that means is probably they were fatter. They actually were fatter as a result of eating vegetables. Um, and so I, I think 
what, what we can miss from this is that probably, given the rest of the book of Daniel is all talking about miraculous acts, about how God intervenes and miraculously, actually, even in this small thing, I think God was at work miraculously. It's not just a sort of, yeah, science and nature, and then they were stronger and fatter as a result. Because basically, fatness uh, symboled prosperity and wealth. And so therefore, to do well in the kingdom of Babylon, to uh, be uh, singled out because of their looks, actually, it would have been because they looked a bit plump. Um, I'm modeling it well this morning. So, um, uh, so, so I think it's easy to overlook that. So not, God's not only with them and making them, uh, giving them wisdom and intelligence, he's also supporting them uh, in, 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 in honoring their decision and making sure that no one can question sort of uh, their diet or their appetite or anything like that, despite what they have chosen to eat. Um, so, uh, and, I, and I think my experience of being faithful in the small things is that if we, if we pick the, the right fights, if we, if we work out the, what are the right things to set our resolve on, what are the right markers to lay down? You know, it's, this is not about having a crazy list of like, things that I want to try and achieve or do, or being, but actually working out what are the key things that I need to you know, faithfully do in the small, thing, the, the small things that I need to faithfully do to serve God, to honour him, to glorify him in my life. I think God will be with us, just as he was with Daniel. And he has been with me in many situations uh, similar, similarly in the past. And we can also take great encouragement when we look at the life of Jesus, about how Jesus was faithful in the small things, about how Jesus obeyed his parents growing up, how he learned the scriptures, how he attended synagogue, how he went along and uh, you know, had a real thirst for finding out about, um, about God, about the scriptures and learning and debating them. We read in his sort of some of the early chapters of the Gospels in the, in the Bible. And uh, Jesus built his life on being faithful in the small things. And, you know, we don't even get to sort of all his ministry and the big things until sort of much later on in his life. But he was, there is a life of faithfulness in the small things uh, and um, that is built upon, that paved the way for sort of what was to come. And so we can take great encouragement from that, that just as, um, as God will be with us, I think Jesus is there as well, supporting us and encouraging us to be faithful in the small things. So, um, secondly, Daniel was faithful with the big things. So in Daniel chapter 2, we start off the, book, the, the, the start of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and um, sets the slightly tricky challenge of wanting to know what the dream meant, but not telling anybody what the dream was. And I, I don't know, I mean, maybe as a, uh, if I was a, um, uh, an imitation wise man and someone came along to me and said, I've had, a, I've had a dream. I mean, this happens regularly with Evie, with various unicorns and princesses and mummies and daddies and things like that. You know, I could probably have a go even at some of her crazy dreams of giving it a faux meaning, right? I could pretend, I could, yeah, I can interpret that dream. I could, you know, you know I could have a go. Nebuchadnezzar decides to ensure that he doesn't get any um, uh, rubbish. He says, well, not only do you have to tell me what it means, you have to actually tell me what the dream was because that's where, that way I'll know it's true and all his advisors and wise men and uh, such gather around and go no man on earth Nebuchadnezzar no man on earth can meet the king's demand 
quite a reasonable challenge, really. Like, it's quite hard to just work that one out, you know, to guess your dream when you don't know it. The king responds somewhat unreasonably by saying, well, in that case, I'm going to kill you all. So that's where we pick up the book in Daniel 2, as I said, the tyrannical Nebuchadnezzar. So we pick up the uh, story in Daniel chapter 2, uh, verse 12. It says, This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had come out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. I'd just like to point out that if that were me, I would speak to him with fear and trembling. But Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matters to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel, then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the, the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me... This mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. So Daniel then goes on to tell the king his dream and the interpretation. And we don't have time this morning to get into the detail of that. But effectively, he prophesizes the rise and fall of both Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and how there'll be a glorious period, but also then the fall of his kingdom and then the kingdoms to come, which subsequently panned out. So that was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had been given. And uh, Daniel not only tells him what the dream was, but then explains it to him. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar recognises the greatness of God and promotes Daniel and his friends to positions of great influence within the court. <clears throat> and I, I just find this, I think there's one detail in particular of this story that really grabs me. And that's that Daniel 
was faithful uh, before he even knew what the, the dream was. When he found out the, the king had had a dream, he did not know what the dream was, and he certainly did not know the interpretation. But he finds out that Nebuchadnezzar wants to, um, that this, this situation is, and he says, get me an appointment. Get me an appointment. Before he even knew, before knowing whether God would answer his prayer, he asked for the appointment. He had faith because probably because he'd seen how God had come through for him in the small things, he was prepared to be faithful in the big things. So then he goes and prays, and he's like, you can just imagine him going back to his friends. He's like, hi, guys. So I've just committed to the Nebuchadnezzar that we're going to interpret his dream for him. I don't yet know what his dream is, so we better get on our knees. You can sort of think, oh, great, thanks, Daniel. Uh, so they pray all night, it says, and during the night, um, and they're crying out to God for mercy and... Um, uh, just asking him for the dream and the interpretation. And uh, sure enough, God comes through for them. And then Daniel is able to go the next day uh, and face a king who would kill, have killed him if he got it wrong and say, this is your dream. And he praises God. And he says, he doesn't just go, I have the interpretation for your dream. No, he uses this opportunity to say, no man could, no man could understand this, but because of God, because of God, I can tell you what your dream means because God wants you to know. And he gives God all the glory and all the honour. I don't know what situation you face. I very much hope you don't have a tyrannical king looming over you uh, in your day-to-day life. Um, At least not until the Tory leadership election is finished next week. But um, there are big situations facing us, all of us. Uh, and um, we, uh, you, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's sharing your faith. Maybe that's the, the big faith situation that you just can't, you can't get into, that you um, can't, uh, you, just, you just feel like you can't take that step. Maybe it's just making ends meet, having faith that God will provide for you, having faith that God will give you somewhere to live. Maybe it's for your children, that they'll grow up to love and follow God and honour him. Maybe it's having faith for that. Maybe it's for your own health. Maybe that's what you're battling with. I remember a few years ago, a, a colleague at work was diagnosed with a, a rare blood condition and was about to go on sort of indefinite long-term sick leave. And um, before he went, I was just sitting down with him and I just felt God saying, you've got to offer to pray for him. And just like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. This is work. I'm just not going to do that. And um, no, you need to offer to pray for him. And um, so I just said, you know, really timidly, would you like me to pray for you? And I'm pretty sure he thought I meant I'll go away and pray for him somewhere else. But he, so he said, yeah, that would be, that'd be good. Thanks, buddy. I was like, Okay, I'm just going to do it now. So I prayed for him, and, and it was, you know, I just prayed for God's peace to be upon him, that the treatment he was about to receive would go well, that, um, and that uh, through it all, he would um, just be at peace and experience God's grace, and, um, and, uh, and that was it. And there wasn't any miraculous moment. There wasn't like he didn't then get up and go, oh, I feel better now, or go to the doctors next and find out that he'd um, been completely healed. That didn't happen. But I kept in touch with him whilst he was having his treatment and, um, you know, via message and just sort of let him know that I was praying for him. And 
um, and he kept you know, giving me the odd update and telling me how bored he was. And, um, uh, and about 12 months later, he returned to work, which was amazing, really, really good after a sort of successful bout of treatment. And he's still not completely healed, um, but uh, it, in, in, in doing that, it sort of brought us closer together, and I guess in a way, and, and gave me a, an avenue to show God's love for him and God's uh, grace. And um, I did not want to do it at all. I did not want to do it. But it's, I think it's that life of being faithful in the small things, of just learning to, uh, to be obedient, to, to follow God, to follow God's promptings. Actually, when he prompts in the big, helps you to, to, to take that step um, when, the, when the big stuff comes up. Um, so I, I just wanted to finish by um, looking at three ways that I think as well that, that Daniel really sort of prepared himself or that Daniel sort of had just ingrained into himself that helped him to be faithful in both the small and the big things. Uh, and so the first of these is prayer. Brilliant. Um, and so we actually read later on in the book of Daniel that Daniel prayed three times a day. And this gets him into trouble in a story that I would tell you more about, but I'm not allowed to say those words. So, um, uh, he, uh, so he sought the fellowship of other believers as well, but he also prayed regularly. And um, PJ Smythe says about prayer, says, prayer is the demonstration that we really believe in the work of God's spirit as opposed to our own might and power. Prayer keeps us in a safe place of faith and humility. It tunes us in to the promptings of God. And I think this just is just so um, exemplified in Daniel that he really believed that it, that it was not his own might or his own power that would interpret those dreams or ensure that he found favour, that it was actually the work of God's spirit. And it kept him faithful, it kept him humble, because he was constantly turning to God and uh, asking, God, what do you want me to do here? What do you want me to do? He knew, Daniel knew, he couldn't do it alone. Um, and uh, that's such a trap for us as well, to think that we can get through a situation uh, on our own. I'm, what, this is some, a trap I so often fall into. So I you know, pray regularly, but... Um, not maybe about what's actually coming up that day. A case in point, I sat down to prepare for this morning, right at the, and at the start I got the book of Daniel out and I read it through and then I read a bit of commentary about the context and I just wasn't really feeling, I don't know what I want to bring out of this or what God, what do you want me to say through what I'm reading? And then I haven't even prayed yet. And it's just sort of hit me that um, I'm sort of halfway into sort of trying to think and, I'm like, and so I prayed and became a lot easier after that and it's so that can be the way I can have a situation at work and be going in and thinking about it and turning it over in mind and then when I come to pray I just pray about other things and I'm like, why haven't you prayed about that why why aren't you praying about that situation that you're facing why do you think you can get through that particular thing on your own uh, the second thing that Daniel believed in and and was ingrained in Daniel was the sovereignty of God and understanding uh, what that meant for him. We read in uh, the, just uh, the, the end of, towards the end of chapter two in Daniel, it says, Daniel is writing, uh, talking to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Our majesty, you are the king of kings. 
the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the, of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. And he said he just had a complete rock-solid certainty that actually God was in control. That's what sovereignty means. God was in control of his situation. That despite the fact that Babylon had been conquered, sorry, that Babylon had conquered Jerusalem, that he had been turfed out of his home and moved to a foreign country and was serving a foreign king who was, by all accounts, a piece of work, it was still God who appointed Nebuchadnezzar. It was God who was in control of that situation. And therefore, whatever happened, it was God who controlled Daniel's fate, not Nebuchadnezzar. And your situation, whatever it is, does not lie outside of God's sovereignty. So there's not like some special category where there's everything else that God controls and then there's your situation where God, you, you know, your, your particular aspect. Actually, having a rock-solid certainty that God is in control is what gives us faith to take that step, to be faithful in the small, to be faithful in the big, to say, God, I place this in your hands. I trust in you and your outcome. It is you alone who control my, my fate. But even more than this, Daniel believed in God's eventual victory, in God's final victory, and that that was secure. So not only was God in control, he knew that God was uh, seeing, the, um, seeing it through to a final victory. To the, despite the fact that Jerusalem was um, uh, under siege, under control of Babylon at that moment, Daniel believed that one day Jerusalem would be reclaimed. And we see this in his pr prophecy. So he said in uh, Daniel chapter 7, just uh, further through the book, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." This changes everything. The Son of Man is how Jesus is often referred to in the Gospels. The Ancient of Days, God the Father on the throne. And as Daniel is prophesying, he may not uh, realise the full extent of what all it means in, in his uh, time. It's about 600 years before the, uh, Jesus had been born. He may not have realised, but he saw the eventual victory of God. He knew that that was secure and he held fast to that, that whatever situation he was in, uh, that one day God would be the victor, that God would restore uh, the things on earth, things in heaven to the way that they should be. And um, so he prayed, in fact, every day facing Jerusalem because he knew that God eventually would restore that city. He knew the Babylonians, that Nebuchadnezzar were merely a passing blip. Now, actually, Daniel never made it back to Jerusalem. He never saw that. We actually read about in Nehemiah how the city of Jerusalem ends up being restored uh, and further on in the Bible. But we don't, Daniel never made it back. But that didn't matter because Daniel knew that one day his God, our God, would be victorious. And um, we must have the same view that not only is God in control, not only is he sovereign, but actually our minds 
should be set on something even greater than Jerusalem being restored. Our mind should be set on Jesus, on the Son of Man, who has been given all authority on heaven and on earth, that everything here points to Jesus, that one day he will return and that we can live our lives differently because we know that actually that's where our future is. That's where we are going. That's what we're about. Can I have the, the band come back up? <clears throat> you know, I started off by saying that Daniel was an exile in, in, a, in a foreign land. And um, that we too, as Christians, that we don't fully belong here. We may be here now, and we're certainly here and called to be part of what's going on, but we don't actually belong here. And the reason for that is that Jesus says in John chapter 14, Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a, prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know, that's where our home is, where Jesus is preparing a place for us. And that's why we can be faithful now, because we know that Jesus, he's got our back. That he's in control, that his final victory is secure. Daniel had his heart set daily on Jerusalem. So we should have our hearts set on where we belong, on heaven, to drive us along. And maybe you're sat here this morning and you don't, you don't feel like, you don't know that that's your future. You don't know that's what, you're not a follower of Jesus. You haven't accepted what Jesus did for us on the cross. As Jesus was faithful in the biggest thing of all, as he went to the cross to take our sins upon himself so that we could be free, so that we could have grace and mercy. Perhaps that's, you don't know, you haven't experienced that yet. And I just say, like, you know, there's an opportunity here this morning. Talk to somebody who you came with or talk to someone in a yellow T-shirt or come and see me afterwards. But there's an opportunity here for you to know Jesus, to know that he has the final victory. Because of Jesus, because he has the victory, we can be faithful in the small things. Because of Jesus, because he has the victory, we can be faithful in the big things because of Jesus, because he has the victory. We can be faithful whatever the cost. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.